We are watching a crisis unfold. We parents more than ever need to show up in a different way. If they're not paying attention, they're really crippling that child for later in life. Hi, right, everybody. Welcome back to Fill in the Blanks. I really appreciate you being here. We've been having some great guests, and you guys have really been spending a lot of time with us, so I appreciate that. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you really want to listen to what we're talking about today because we're going to talk to you about some very important tools, tactics, and strategies for being a parent and helping to parent, whether you do it primarily or secondarily. My guest today is Dr. Shafali. She is an acclaimed New York Times bestselling author, international speaker. She is a clinical psychologist and received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University. She specializes in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. And I'm going to let her tell us all about that when I stop rambling here and talk to her. She really brings together the best of both worlds for her clients. She's an expert in family dynamics. And you all know, because you've heard me say, I believe family in America is under attack. We need to do a good job of fortifying our families and making them stronger and stronger. She teaches courses around the world in family dynamics and personal development alike. And so we're going to take a deep dive with her. And she has a book that's coming out two weeks from today, actually. It's the Parenting Map, Step-by-Step Solutions to Consciously Create the Ultimate Parent-Child Relationship. Dr. Safali, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you have dedicated and focused your work in an area that I think is so important because I said, I think families in America are under attack from so many different angles. And I'll talk about that as we go along. But you talk about something called conscious parenting. Tell us what you mean by that. Conscious parenting really, to me, is the answer for most of the troubles we're seeing today. And what it entails is the parent realizing the power they have in their influence and their connection over their children, but that they can lose that power if they muddy the parenting waters with misplaced expectations, with distraction, with lack of presence, with lack of inner wholeness. So from their own childhood, if they are still holding wounds or emotional scars that are unhealed, then that will obstruct their ability to truly connect with their children. And I, I believe that's what's missing in our families today. The parents' ability to pay attention, to be present, to be focused, and to know how to connect to these beings that we call children. And I think the influx of social media and all the fast-paced culture that we're absorbed in is really distracting our parents even more than before. So conscious parenting is about the parent realizing that their state of consciousness has such a deep impact on their children. And therefore, the first person they need to raise is themselves. And I've often said, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. Everything your child will ever be they're now becoming, right now. Exactly. Whatever they're going to be, ultimately, when they grow up, in terms of their character, their values, their personalities, that's all obtaining right now. And so, whether it's third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, middle school, whatever, these parents are riding on the slate of who that child's going to become. And you're bringing up a great point. If they're not paying attention to what they're writing on that slate, if they're not paying attention to how they're engaging and role modeling for that child, then they're really crippling that child for later in life. That's what you're saying when you say, parent, you got to raise yourself first. You got to get yourself ready to do this important job. Absolutely. And we don't realize as parents 
how pivotal that moment by moment by moment in the here and now connection is, especially in the first 10 to 15 years of the child's life. And we miss those moments and it's okay. It's part of being ordinary and imperfect. But if we miss too many moments and we don't seize the opportunities to truly plant in those seeds, then how is that child going to suddenly miraculously emerge into a resilient, empowered, you know, worthy being? It's not going to happen by magic. It's this intricate sowing moment by moment that happens that parents need to show up for. And if they are stressed and burdened and overwhelmed and living in paranoia and fear and anxiety, then they're going to obstruct their capacity to do that very seminal, invaluable work in the child's childhood. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. I've said to parents so many times, you're not going to be the only voice in your child's ear. So you better be the best voice in your child's ear. There can be a lot of people talking to that child through the media, social media, their friends, outside influences. So you better be a clarion voice. You better be the best voice. I feel that more and more strongly today than I did 30 years ago because I think there's more noise competing for that child's attention. What do you think is the parent's biggest challenge in being that best voice in your child's ear right now? Is it their deficits? Is it overcoming all that other noise? What's the biggest challenge that parents face right now? You know, it's complex, but I will say that it's also quite simple. So the simple part of it is this. When your child is between the ages of zero to seven, you have, I don't want to say complete, but pretty much total power to create, not the child, but the conditions within which your relationship can be foundationally imprinted upon. You do have that influence in those early years. However, it's the law of diminishing returns. Every year after that, you now are competing more now than when you and I were parents of our young children than ever before. I feel sorry uh, in in the most compassionate way for young parents because it's kind of uh, a doom and gloom reality out there in terms of the excessive stimulation our children are exposed to. But the early first six years, seven years are yours. So I often tell young parents, Do not miss this window. It is a profound window. It is a window where your children are easily willing, able, capable of connecting to you in a way that will be imprinted upon them for life. They will never forget it. But if you don't seize that power you have in the most benevolent way, not in a tyrannical way, then you will lose that window. And there are windows, you know, and that is the first foray into that deep connection that can be bonded and forged with your children. But after that, it we are meant to release our children out into the world more and more and more. But in today's world, we have to be aware that we are releasing them to a constant stream of insane distraction. So therefore, that connection we forge with them creates the influence we can have with them. We may not have as much control today, but we continue to have as much influence if we do the work to create that connection, right? So that means we have to show up. We have to be that safe harbor for our children. We have to demonstrate trust and reverence and respect for who it is they are so they come to us, right? If we are constantly critiquing them and being critical and shaming them, then they're going to distance from us. So the ingredients are quite simple, even though we're living in an increasingly complex world. I love the way you describe that because you're right. In those first years, they think that mom and dad get up 30 minutes before they do and let the sun out, right? Right. 
the parents are the whole world and they're not embarrassed to be seen with their parents. They don't want to get dropped off a block yes. away from where they're going. They're okay to walk with you and play games with you. And that is a window of influence where we can install some values and beliefs, like you say, not in a tyrannical way, but just that's your chance to have their undivided attention and really show them here's who we are. These are the things we think and feel and value. But there's going to come a time where there's a lot of competition all of a sudden when they start going to school and they're exposed to friends and teachers and then social media starts getting in there and television and all of those sorts of things. So let's talk about that next phase. If we've got a lot of parents or grandparents now that are listening and those first six or seven years are gone and they're dealing with children that now are in this media-rich environment where they are bombarded with overstimulation What's the parent's best strategy to maintain an open line of communication and influence with kids that are out of that first window? So as our children grow older, it is a pivotal part of their development that they take risks, that they defy us, that they individuate, right? In psychology, it's called individuation. It is healthy for our children to do so. However, the world we live in today is not yesterday's world where there was this healthy individuation into a healthy peer group. Now, the peer group is spread across a social media platform or many where they're strangers. So parents need to be savvy and first understand the risks and rewards of social media and this world that our children are now going to step into that they actually think is their social scene. Like children will say, I have 5,000 friends. No, you don't have 5,000 friends, but this is how children talk today. So parents need to be aware of the tremendous risk of this illusion called social media and how toxic it can be for a child's self-esteem. And the only way that parents can combat the influence is if they fully understand its dangers in their own life and see their own addictions. So I often tell parents, and this may not be popular, that no screens till teens, at least, because the brain is still developing and children cannot handle this constant dopamine influx. It's I tell parents that it's like giving your kid crack cocaine at 13. So limit it, have strong boundaries, be unpopular with your child, it's okay. Meet with the other friends' parents and develop a council. Now that's what parents have begun doing, that they all agree to not have social media when they're on a play date or when they're at the birthday party. So you can join together to have some buffers for your children. But again, leaving social media aside, in this next phase of development, it's really important for parents to show up as that safe harbor. What that means is you, as your child grows up, you have to step out of center stage into backstage, but you still are a powerful prop, a guide, an usher, a backbone. But that's what you need to be. It's this delicate dance of allowing your children to fall and fail because they must do it so they can practice what it means to get up. But you are there as the, the backup plan and a strong backup plan, a plan where they want to return to, where they want to come back home to. So that means you have to watch yourself when you're overly sermonizing your children, overly lecturing your children, overly judging and critiquing your children. You know, my daughter is 20 right now, and I know you have adult children. Man, I cannot say one judgmental thing from a place of unconsciousness because she'll catch me right away. And she'll say to me, mom, you're projecting onto me. That's the curse of having a psychologist's daughter. Uh, mom, back off. These are your expectations. Mom, I'm not living your life. Children are so savvy these days, and rightly so, in, in a healthy way, and, and what they're saying to us parents is that I need you to listen to me, to respect my opinions, and then guide me from a place that serves my essence and my authenticity and not yours, right? So we parents have so much to pay attention to in this next phase of development. Yeah, the shorthand version of that around my house is don't you doctor feel me. 
Yes. <laughs> they put up the stop sign there. But you're really right. And I want parents to understand that it is the natural thing as kids get into their teenage years and early teens, and then more so in the later teens, for the child to branch off and break away from the parent, right? I've often told them the more they dominate and control their child, the more radical that breakaway will be. If you let the child be an individual growing up, then that'll be a gradual individuation. If you don't, it will be a more radical, rebellious sort of thing, whatever it takes in their mind to get away and stand on their own two feet. But it's going to happen. It's supposed to happen, right? It's supposed to happen. And sometimes parents will extol the child's virtues and say to me, my child is so good. My child and I talk every single day and I'm my child's best friend. And, you know, for me as a psychologist, it's just one red flag after another oh red flag. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> after yeah. another red flag. Yeah. Because the child is supposed to be moving away from you and discovering who it is they are and not be enmeshed and stuck to your apron strings, right? So parents mistake closeness for enmeshment and enmeshment for closeness. And that is because of the parents' own toxic desires to feel needed to feel like they are still worthy, that they have an identity. And that's really one of the greatest parental pitfalls is the parent's own need to be significant in the child's eyes. And in doing that, they use their children for their sense of worth and identity and never let the child find their way. And that's why we're raising this generation of these very fragile children and very enmeshed, overly identified as being parents' parents. And uh, this is a, f a failure, I believe. And we need to remedy it uh, with compassion and understanding, but we need to do so quite immediately. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. You have tips on parenting, and your number two tip, if I can just read this, it says, reframe every struggle with your child as an invitation for your personal growth and awareness. When you make this internal pivot, you begin to shift how you view your child and how you relate to them. Can you commit to asking yourself, what does this moment say about me? Just this one pivot has the power to change your entire dynamic with your children. So you're saying, can you commit to asking yourself, what does this moment say about me? Now, here's my question. Based on parental legacy, based on the fact that there is a generational legacy, a parental legacy, that anonymous poem, Children Learn What They Live, is so profound. If a parent grew up in a dysfunctional home, if they grew up with broken parents, they come from divorce, they come from alcoholic parents, they come from a violent home or whatever— where do they find the insight, the energy, the resource to do this seemingly simple thing that you're talking about? Can you commit to asking yourself, what does this moment say about me? How do they find that and get that direction when they're a product of broken parenting themselves? Right. I get this question so often in another way when people ask me, you know, your work in conscious parenting is about becoming conscious. But how do I become conscious of that that's unconscious? Here's the way you do it or, or the way it will be done to you. Our life will eventually fall apart to such a degree that we will hit the, you know, the rubber will hit the road, so to speak, which means our ego, our, our coping strategies will eventually stop working. And one day, we will have this rock bottom moment, which I as a therapist wait for, not in a perverse way, but in an invitational way, because it's that rock bottom moment. So that last fight with your 16 year old, your fifth grader is dropping out of school, your 20 year old refuses to talk to you. All these pivotal moments of pain will happen where your ego is forced to surrender and you're forced to say, okay, what in me now needs to heal? So sadly or gladly, pain is the way 
that we come to our greatest awakening. I often say pain is the greatest portal for our transformation. But till that happens, we will keep being dysfunctional. And eventually something cracks where we wake up. And the reason I do parenting more than anything else, and I talk about parenting, is because with every other client, it's so hard to break their ego. But with the parent, I have found, because of our intense love and devotion for our children and our inability to really see them in pain, that I find that the defense of the parent cracks a little bit and I can get in there and help them to see how so much of this is a repetition of their own childhood. And finally, because they love their children so much, the parent is slightly willing to see how they are so co-creating these patterns. And, uh, you know, our children are our greatest mirrors. They are the ones for whom we will do work for, like I've never seen them do it for anyone else. So that's why I talk about conscious parenting so much. Yeah, they're certainly motivated. Most parents you know, they'll lay down in front of a train for their child if they need to, and it does motivate them. I'm talking to Dr. Shafali, and mark your calendar because February 28th, the parenting map, step-by-step solutions to consciously, consciously create the ultimate parent-child relationship. It's not going to be a book you read. It's going to be a book that you read and turn into a how-to manual that I think you're going to refer back to time and time again when different challenges come up. I expect it's going to be dog-eared. I expect you're going to buy several copies and share it with people that you love and care about. So it's the parenting map, and that's what we're talking about today. When we talk about these kids that are getting into their teens, you had a nice way of putting it a little bit ago. You said, no screens until teens. This is something that social media, the web, is just a reality in life today. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. When I started the Dr. Phil show, there were no social media platforms. That's how old I am and how long I've been on the air. And it's created a whole new set of toxicity, a whole new set of challenges. We've had to deal with cyberbullying and children committing suicide from that, just horrible fallout from it. When do you think, and I know every child is different, some are mature sooner than others, and every situation differs, but when do you think it's appropriate for parents to allow their child to have a smartphone or an iPad, a computer that's internet capable? Yeah. You know, again, it's, it's a hard one to answer because our schools are giving our kids internet iPads to do math on. But if the parent truly understood the dangers of letting their children foray into the world of the internet without supervision, guidance, controls, they would really agree with me. And I would say that age is no earlier than, no earlier, and I'm talking about the, the most controlled, disciplined kid, 13 or 14 years old, no earlier. And this may sound rigid and excessive, but I've seen the effects so close. I've seen children uh, being exposed to porn before their brains could, you know, metabolize the information. Children being exposed to cyberbullying, being called fat, stupid, and ugly when they did not need to be exposed to that kind of, uh, you know, disrespect and slander. So, there, there may be a lot of educational elements and therefore the parent needs to supervise and have strong boundaries uh, and not let the child just have this unmitigated, unmediated access to this jungle out there. And that's what we're talking about is good boundaries. But I'll tell you, and you know this, we can tell a parent have boundaries and the parent can start out by having good boundaries. But the number one fights in all the houses of parents who come to me for counseling is around the boundaries around social media. I mean, I'm negotiating these boundaries with these children as young as seven or eight. So we're not fighting about TV time anymore, where the, where the parent could hide the remote. We are talking about the child's phone. So we've given them a phone or a device too early before their time. And now we are having fights and conflicts over something we should have never given to them in the first place. So parents, uh, 
Don't feel like you're the bad guys if you have strong boundaries around social media. And uh, don't be afraid to institute them because you're really allowing your children to do things like we used to do in, in childhood, like get bored, be creative, stare outside a window, you know, pick up a pen and doodle and draw. These are all things that are pro-healthy development that our children are now being robbed of because of our own and their screen addiction. Well, there's a lot of research now, and I'm sure you've seen it, that these social media platforms with their algorithms and interval ratio reward systems and all are designed to be addictive. Yes. And they do become addictive. You say one of the biggest mistakes we make in relationship with our children is that we presume ownership over them. I'm really curious, and I have an opinion about this that I'll express too, but I want to know yours. Do you think this generation of children, and by that I mean those that are now, I guess it probably cuts across two generations, but those that are starting into the primary grades of school up through college are being too coddled and protected by parents and then by extension teachers and professors now? Or do you think they're just smoothing the way for them? Too coddled or are they just trying to help them make it through? Well, I think they are being too coddled, but not just by a parent, a singular parent. I think as a reaction from us, from our generation, where we waited for the bus, where we waited uh, for our, we had to go get our own food delivered. You know, we had to go and do the delivery ourselves. We never had this, you know, door-to-door service. We didn't have Uber and Uber Eats and everything on our fingertips. I think we have created, our generation has now created all these apps or allowed them to come into fruition. And now our children have instant gratification and they can order their perfect meal at the age of eight all by the click of their these buttons on their phone. I think all of this has created an indulgence of material possessions and luxuries that have created a lethargy in our physical and emotional stamina. So we literally have no stamina. I mean, I watch my 20-year-old daughter have an epileptic fit almost if her Uber Eats driver got the wrong order. And I look at her absolutely flabbergasted, but knowing I am part of this creation where she cannot tolerate a bad order. And I tell her, get off your butt and cook your own food. How about that? But I have done this. I, I have to take ownership, right? So our generation is quick to demean and slander this new generation as being too entitled and coddled, but we were part of this. Well, of course we are. I hear parents talk about the younger generation as though they had nothing to do with it, which is astounding to me. But I guess it was 2008 or 2009. I think about it as though big cargo planes flew over the United States and dropped millions of smartphones all over the country. And at that point, there was a shift. And the shift was that these young people stopped living their lives so much as they spent time watching others live their lives. Yes. The lives they're watching being lived aren't real. They're these fantasy lives that these influencers and all are putting up on the internet, and they compare themselves to that. And by comparison, they come out on the short end of the stick because, as I say, those are fantasy lives. They've started getting their driver's license later. And you know all this. I'm just repeating it for our viewers in case they don't know. They're starting to get their driver's license later. They're starting to date later. They have fewer friends. Their interaction with the real world truly is being crowded out by their involvement in the virtual world. And they'll say, oh, I, I met him and we've been dating. And then it's 10 minutes into the conversation where I find out they never met him at all. They call that meeting somebody. They never met. It's all on the internet. Right, what is right. up with this? Right. Or a child will say, you know, this person was so mean to me and I'll be thinking in real life, like somebody was really hurting them in real life. And then I'll find out later it was because they didn't like a comment or they sent the wrong emoji 
And, uh, you know, so listen, what we're saying is we can go on and on about these crazy kids today. But what we're really saying is that we are watching a crisis unfold. And we parents more than ever need to show up in a different way. It was hard enough for you and I to be present with our kids. Talk about the distractions that parents have today. I watch nanny after nanny, parent after parent, walking their kids in the stroller on their phone. And I watch myself on my phone. So this is not to appear sanctimonious, but we are all in a crisis of attention and presence. And that's why I integrate spirituality and meditation in all my teachings and the principles of presence, because that is what is the missing ingredient. Because when you're present, you're paying attention. When you're paying attention, you're attuning and you're readily available for your children as they need you versus you projecting onto them in a distracted way or a traumatized way. So all of this work to be a parent more now than ever requires more energy and more consciousness from the parent. And you put a lot of this on the parent, and I think almost all belongs on the parent. Of course, the kid has choices to make and all, but as I say, I think we really write on the slate of who they are. We color their personality by what we allow them to do, what we reward, what we fail to reward. I think you're so right, and that's why I love this concept of the conscious parenting. I did a show on New Year's resolutions, which I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but I think any time for any reason that you stop and say, okay, let me call time out here and focus on what it is that I want to achieve or do, whether it's March 18th or July 14th or whenever it is. I think it's always great if you stop and do that. But people ask me if I would recommend a resolution to somebody, and I said, yeah, I would, but it wouldn't be losing weight or exercising more or changing jobs or blah, 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 blah. It would simply be, be who you are on purpose. Mm-hmm. Don't just wake up every day and react to what's coming through your front door or your phone or happening at work, but be who you are, do what you do, choose what you choose on purpose. That's what you're saying about parenting is consciously choose what you're doing as a parent. Do this on purpose. Think about it. Consciously choose it and recognize that what I've said forever and ever is when you choose the behavior, you choose the consequences. We're seeing these consequences obtain in these children's lives later and later. Is it ever too late for a parent to change the way they're interacting with and parenting their child? No, of course not, because every new moment with your child is a new opportunity to uh, forge a bond and a connection and to apologize and to take accountability. However, that adult child now is kind of, you know, developed. So if we are looking to influence again, it's those early 10, 15 years, and I'm being generous here, um, to, to really do the work. And I often tell parents, please do not have children If you don't understand that you are not having them so you feel better about yourself, you're not having them to show off on Facebook. This is not a trinket, a trophy or a prize, uh, one more medal. This has nothing to do with you. This has to do with you willing to go on this adventure to raise this spirit as they need to be, not as you think they should be or uh, how your parents did it. You have to really tailor the approach very intentionally But in order to do that, you have to have attention, you have to have intention, you have to have focus, you have to have presence, which means you have to really be there. You know, many times parents will say, oh, you know, I have three children or four children. And I often say, why? Why do you have so many children if if you're so overwhelmed and so stressed? And they'll say, well, I had these children so my first child could have 
a family could have siblings. <laughs> Never mind it's mayhem in the house and the first child couldn't, you know, be bothered with the other children. Now the parent is in, you know, in a tizzy because these children don't get along. And I often tell parents that we start the parenting journey on such a misconception. You're not having children for any reason. It shouldn't be for any reason, except that you've decided that you're willing to raise this being as they need to be. Don't do your older child a favor. Don't do your grandparents a favor. Don't do your husband a favor or your partner. Do it because you understand what it takes. And what it takes is it's not going to be pretty for your ego. It has to be for that child's essence. Yeah, and that really takes some forethought. I know now we see our birth rate dropping down to really dangerous levels as far as this country is going in terms of sustaining. So everybody's wanting people to have children, but you really have to think about this before you do it because there's nothing involved in proper parenting except sacrifice. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of rewards, of course, but it's sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Is there a time in your mind when parents have the opportunity to, I guess, reparent? As you said, when these kids get up to a certain age, you've done what you're going to do, and it's going to be when they're adults, certainly, or when they're going to start to have their own children, those first seven to 10 years, that ship has sailed. Is there benefit in sitting down with a child in the later years and saying, I made a mistake. I did some things that I could have done a better job on, and I don't want you to proliferate that generationally. I want to talk to you about that now and redefine our relationship. And I call that reparenting sometimes instead of just continuing on the journey. Is that worthwhile? Oh, my goodness. It's so amazing and profoundly transformational. If a parent can do that and if the child will give them the audience to do that. Just the other day, I had to publicly declare an apology to my child because she was going on and on in front of other people about how I traumatized her. And I I knew I had messed her up a little bit, but not my goodness. She was acting like I had traumatized her. But instead of getting defensive, I just said, you know, I was just ridiculously pushy and I publicly declare an apology. And she said, you're forgiven. But children, children need that, you know, and we parents get so defensive. But that was their experience. The way she told the story and the way adult children will tell their story about your parenting will be very different than how you remembered it. And oh often we parents so different and they remember every every mistake, right? They will not remember all the good times that all the times you salvaged the situation and showed up. They will remember your unconscious moments. But that's such a beautiful thing because what that means is that they're still holding some pain around that and they're asking to be validated. And the fact that they bring it up in adulthood, as annoying as it is and as you know, short changed in terms of memory and it's just, you know, their own story being told. It's a powerful opportunity for parents to take that moment to heal and to say, you know what? I may see it differently, but I hear you. I see that you're still holding a grudge and you're really in pain about my unconsciousness. And I was foolish. And I, I really want to tell you that I apologize for hurting you. It doesn't take anything for us to do that, but some parents will just not do it because they get so defensive, which is the reason why the child is still holding on to that grudge. So reparenting is an endless opportunity to heal, to take accountability, to release your child of their grudges. What a wonderful thing if we can do that for our children. Yeah, I tell parents, don't be a right fighter here. Perception is reality. If that's their belief, and you yes. don't want to enable delusional behavior, but if that's their belief and that was their experience, then instead of being defensive about this, you can say, okay, I hear you. I get it. I get that that was your experience, and I'm really sorry, and if you'll give me the chance, I'll do better. 
it's real hard to continue rebelling against that. It's real hard to continue resenting that. Mm -hmm. And it's real hard to keep that chip on their shoulder. It's a gift to them. It sets them free. It sets you free. My boys now are 42 and 35. They're seven years apart. I've always said, you never finish parenting. You just start Mm -hmm. doing it from a distance. Right, right. They're both now parents. And I watch them. I remember when our oldest was like one and a half or two, we were in a restaurant and he just went off the deep end and was crying and screaming. I remember Robin telling him then, when you're 16, I'm going to get you for this. (laughs) And and then when he had little ones, he remembered (laughs) that we used to joke about that. Then his kid would go off the deep end. And it's funny what they remember and value across time. If you could have that open dialogue, it's funny looking back, we never tried to be our children's best friend. Yeah. We tried to be their parents and not win a popularity contest. We have, I think, so much better relationship with them now as adult children to our parenting from a distance than if we had tried to be their best friends then. Yes. And parents don't realize you're going to pay for this later if you screw it up now. If you do it right now, you're going to reap the benefits later. Yes. It's just not making yourself feel better in the moment, but doing what is in the child's best interest in the moment and knowing you're going to reap that benefit later. They have a backwards way of analyzing this. Well, I think it's not even that Parents are consciously doing this. That's the pro- that's the problem and the point that parents are so distracted, disconnected, and in a place of you know real dire internal pain themselves. And that's why I wrote this book, The Parenting Map, to help parents heal and understand their own patterns and begin to disrupt their own generational legacies, so that they can truly show up for their kid as their kid needs them to, without all this baggage and. And that's why this book is powerful, according to me, that I've laid it out in a step-by-step kind of 20 steps to follow to make it digestible for parents. Okay, I'll do this, and then I will think of things like this. And if we don't break it down in a really bite-sized way, I have found that parents kind of just keep missing the boat. So that's what this book offers parents is a real concrete map. How do I How do I think about happiness? How do I think about success? How do I think about achievement? What what are my patterns? How am I showing up? What are my typical ways that my ego sabotages things? These are the questions that this book seeks to answer. Well, I think it does answer them, but it answers them in more than an insightful way. It answers them in an action-oriented way. And that's what I love about the book, because you do address the question and you give an answer, but you also tag on to it. So here's what to do. Yes. To me, that's so important because books of theory, books of philosophy can give people a lot of insight, but they need a nudge. Give me something to do, that first step. Yes. And it puts them in the ballpark. I've told people before, you need to have your priorities consciously in your mind. And if you catch yourself during the day working on something other than your top priority, You need to stop and ask yourself why. They'll say, okay, um, priority list, and they have a hard time making a priority list. But if you give them one or two examples, then they can just fill the whole thing out. They just needed how to get started. And that's what you do in your steps. You give them examples of what you're talking about and how it plays out, and very action-oriented steps about what to do to make this a healthy situation, not a perfect situation, not a perfect child, not a perfect relationship, but to move in a healthy direction. And that's what I love about it. It's not just philosophical. It's action-oriented. Anybody can criticize, but you say, okay, this is what you don't want to do, but then you talk about specifically what you can do and give people examples. And I love that about the book. So congratulations on the book. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a work of love and service because 
you and I know with our adult clients that we see or people we coach that all their issues come from the first 10 years of their life. And that's why I do this work. It's not necessarily that I love these pesky beings that we call children. I do, but it's also because that phase of life is the most profound developmental phase. And if we parents don't understand that, like you said, we will pay a heavy price later. So this book is really to help parents seize the opportunities they have with their children so that their pain in handling their children's pain is so much more less and diminished. Yeah, I've often said to married couples that are having conflict or whatever, I often talk about the fact that they typically will argue about topics, not real issues. Mm -hmm. By analogy, you talk in here about the fact that don't pay so much attention to behaviors, but look behind it for the feeling that drives it. Yes. That jumped right out at me because... That's what I always try to look at is the behavior is just an outward manifestation of the feelings. And most people react to the behaviors. But if you take this one beat and ask yourself, why is this cashier at the grocery store being rude? Why is this wait staff being short? Why is this teacher being defensive? Instead of disreacting to behavior, you ask yourself, what's the feeling that might be motivating it? gives you such a leg up on dealing with people if you just take that one extra beat to ask what's the motive. Absolutely. I use the acronym in the book, SIGN, S-I-G-N, something inside gone negative. So any behavior that you're seeing outside that feels misaligned or disrespectful or defiant or before you jump, especially at your kids, you know, ask yourself, is this a sign? of something inside gone negative. So the next time your kid slams the door and says, I hate you, mom, before you're going to go and pounce into the room and say, what did you say, young lady? And I'm going to ground you. Understand that the greater the external misbehavior, the greater the flag that something inside has gone negative. And your job as a parent is not to take it personally and get hooked because that's your ego saying, hey, how can you talk to me like that? What about me and all the things I do for you? And you're making it about your ego rather than truly detaching from your ego and asking, what does my kid need from me right now? My kid is in trouble. My kid is showing me that they are in an inner disarray. And if I react to that, now I've compounded that. So that's how we parents create dysfunction is we compound the issues because we make it all about our ego. Yeah. Once you let that go, it sure makes everything so much easier. It sure makes it so much easier. Now, we have a common friend. You've worked with Oprah. Yes. <laughs> What's that experience been like for you? You know, as uh, most people's burgeoning dreams uh, to become, to, to get their message out there, I too wanted Oprah to celebrate my work, but she wasn't a parent. And uh, so when people used to ask me, who's the one person you wish would recognize your work? I would fumble, you know, but then I realized and came into the wisdom that she is a parent you know, a parent is not from one's biological child. A parent is a state of being which looks out for the well-being of others. And so once I understood that she is our parent in so many ways and has parented us in so many beautiful ways, I then began to look out for her, you know, and ask people, you know, hey, do you think Oprah would like to read my first book, The Conscious Parent? And then I eventually did meet her and she actually did interview me many times. And I was just so honored that even though she wasn't a parent biologically, she understood uh, how important conscious parenting was for the world. So I'm eternally grateful and blessed. And she gets it. You know, she fully understands it on a very deep level. And that just speaks to her compassion, her sensitivity, her high intuition, wisdom. Yeah, she's very sincere about it. And just know that she has recognized Dr. Safali's work in conscious parenting as groundbreaking and revolutionary and truly believes in what she's doing, as do I. 
I think the whole pattern of your work is so important to me because, as I've said, I think the American family is under attack right now. And when I say that, I mean there is so much going on that is working to erode the American family unit. If you think back as recently as the 1950s, when there was still a lot of agricultural activity in this country, people lived on farms, they lived rurally a lot, everybody was involved, everybody contributed. We were much less transient society then. There were three TV stations, maybe one TV in the house, one phone on the wall in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Things were just much more family-oriented then. And now, here we are today in 2023, and so much is competing with family time social media and the computer and being so highly mobile as a society and kids getting exposed to so much so soon before they have the emotional maturity to deal with it. It's just making it harder and harder for the family to develop and stay together as a unit. What you're talking about here in your book, The Conscious Parent, The Awakened Family, A Radical Awakening, and your book that's coming out two weeks from the day, The Parenting Map, Step-by-Step Solutions to Consciously Create the Ultimate Parent-Child Relationship. All of this body of work goes right to my concern about fortifying the family and doing it generationally, because when you do it with the kids, then they're going to be better parents, and then they're going to be better parents. And I don't think of you as having a philosophy as much as I do a movement. So God bless you for the work you're doing. Oh, it's a pleasure to have shared it with you and an honor. And thank you for all that you do as well. And thank you for having me on your show. It's such an honor. Well, I look forward to us talking again, which I know we're going to do very soon. And I hope it'll be one of many conversations we'll have in helping families in America. So I appreciate you being here today. Again, my guest is Dr. Shafali. You can pre-order it today, but her book is The Parenting Map. I highly recommend it. There are a lot of tips in there. As I say, you don't have to guess at how you implement the philosophy. She really gets specific about that, and it will help you. It will help your family. I won't tell you you need it. I will tell you you deserve it. You deserve it. Your children deserve it. Your family deserves it. Doctor, thank you so much. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. You bet. Thanks, Doc.